0: This podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action.
1: In April 2023, Professor John Skerritt left his position as Deputy Secretary of the Health Products Regulation Group in Australia after 11 years of exemplary public service. According to the Honourable Mark Butler, Member of Parliament and the Minister for Health and Aged Care, about Professor Skerritt, he said he has become synonymous with and the public face of the Therapeutic Goods Administration. During this time, it was his reassurances that left Australians confident in the approval and regulation of medicines, vaccines and treatments. That is uh, absolutely correct. I'm Rick Day. I'm the DIA Global Forum Regional Editor for Australia and New Zealand. Today it's my honor and pleasure to welcome Professor Scarab, to ask him to share his thoughts about his service to patients in Australia. So thank you very much for joining us today, John, and welcome. Thanks, Rick, and it's lovely to talk with you again. John going back 11 years, what was it that attracted you to take on this very significant global regulatory agency that CGA actually is?
0: I think it was an opportunity to come full circle since I did my first research uh, in pharmacology and immunology over 40 years ago. And Although I uh, started off in a career in this area, I've gone a very circuitous route. i would worked in CSIRO uh, doing some medical research, uh, but more in the immunology side, but also running one of CSIRO's first biotechnology groups. Later in my career, I was appointed as the most senior scientist in Australia's foreign affairs and trade department. And that really emphasised to me the importance of building, and that was my job, to build international technical collaborations between uh, Australia and other organisations. And really, it all came together. I I saw the high profile of TGA as a leading regulator, but I think the uh, most important thing is that what TGA does is touch everyone's lives personally on a daily basis. And so it was an opportunity to contribute in that way.
1: Absolutely, John. So, uh, and and a tremendous background in science, pharmacology, development of products, and actually stakeholder involvement globally. So when you did uh, get this job, did you walk into it with uh, particular goals in mind? And if so, what were those goals?
0: You don't want to have too many preconceived views about an organisation that you haven't even joined. I felt in general that regulators globally had not had the opportunity to be as transparent as they could be. And I felt that uh, there was an opportunity to engage more with healthcare professionals, consumers and patient groups. As I've said, these are products that are used every day by almost every Australian. And so transparency was one of the areas. I'd also realised that the regulatory framework hadn't really been modernised for 30 years. And there was the opportunity to do that. And I saw many opportunities for greater collaboration, not only with other parts of the health system and other parts of the regulatory system here in Australia, but also globally.
1: So what would you say would be the most significant um, interactions and collaborations that you had and the agency had with other agencies during your tenure as leader of the TGA, and particularly because you were confronted with this global challenge of the pandemic, uh, which actually was an Australian challenge as well? Well,
0: it really came out of my foreign affairs background and also my research background. The first thing you learn as a young researcher, as I did in the late 1970s, I think you and I are contemporaries, Rick, was that you don't duplicate other people's research. You build on it. You sometimes need to replicate it, but you don't intentionally just set out to duplicate it. And it seemed to me the same principle should apply to regulatory review, that if you have quality regulators in Canada, the US, Europe, or wherever, who have reviewed a product, it's unnecessary to start from scratch. You want to look at their work. So I felt that there were opportunities really to strengthen international collaboration. Also, A larger number of brains are going to be better than a single mind in reviewing a product if we really want to make sure we address safety, quality, efficacy, but in particular, address issues of uncertainty, which is an area that regulators struggled with. So well before COVID, and in fact, one of the first things that happened in my first year of uh, being in this role almost a decade ago was the opportunity to set up a new group called ICMRA, the International Coalition of Medicine's Regulatory Authorities, and it has played a leading role, both during the pandemic and after the pandemic, but it really builds on the work we did in 2012 and 2013. And of course, we've also increased our role in medical devices, in IMDRF and in work sharing and collaboration with Access and a range of other partnerships. It's not just collaboration on policy work, but also joint and collaborative evaluation of medicines, which gets products to patients earlier.
1: Those have been great accomplishments, and I think we've seen the fruits of those in terms of speed of access to not just drugs but devices. And I think um, the value of very quick sharing globally between agencies. I'd like to congratulate you on that particular aspect. Just on the matter of the pandemic itself and the uh, demands around the vaccines and then the antivirals and uh, how that uh, groundwork that you really set up with ICMRA, for example, how that uh, played out for TGA and Australians?
0: Well, of course, the pandemic changed everybody's lives uh, in just about every country of the world. But as far as TGA went, i have never seen an organisation with such a strong sense of mission. and. People perform miracles at all levels. It wasn't all about me, whether it was looking at the review of vaccine applications, which continued over Christmas, New Year, looking at safety risks, which basically consumed Easter or developing a whole new uh, framework for hand sanitizers. Now, that might appear trivial, but remember, there was a time where we were sanitizing our hands every 10 minutes. And of course, you couldn't get your hands on these products. So we worked together with the brewing industry and the winemaking industry, who had lost a lot of customers, especially from those that were tourist destinations, into converting their products into hand sanitizers. And we developed a whole new regulatory framework for hand sanitizers over a weekend. And perhaps people forget about that with hand sanitizers, because now they've come down in cost. But for a while, a bottle of hand sanitizer was costing more than a good bottle of wine. The fact that we were able to be so nimble, but to reflect a bit more, and perhaps this comes down to one of the questions that uh, I know DIA members are very interested in: what's really changed and what will stick, what will persist after COVID. Uh, perhaps I can just briefly cover that. Firstly, I think regulators have become a bit more comfortable in dealing with uncertainty. Uncertainty is the biggest challenge, rather than benefit-risk, uh, as. Donald Rumsfeld said, you know, the unknown unknowns are often the the most challenging areas. Look how clinical trial paradigms have changed. I mean, remote monitoring and conduct of clinical trials is now a norm. You're not having to bring participants into a centre all the time. The use of real-world evidence, we saw that really take off for label extensions for COVID drugs and vaccines. I've talked already about how regulators were both nimble and pragmatic. And yet, at the same time, regulators had to have a much greater role in being a public voice. And again, not just me, although I did get sick of my own picture on television every night, but regulators had to communicate to healthcare professionals, to consumers about the vaccines, about the products, what they knew and what they didn't know. We also had to work with a much wider range of stakeholders, whether it was things like managing drug shortages, at times when aeroplanes that brought most of the drugs into Australia were not flying. And we looked at new paradigms, for example, running uh, remote and document-based GMP inspections. And, of course, as we talked about before, international regulatory collaboration really became not just a nice-to-have, but it became the basis of working together on these new products. So we exchanged information on policies. We exchanged information on how the clinical data was developing We exchange information on the real world performance of these drugs and vaccines and on safety and post-approval requirements, just to mention a few things. I think these various things are going to persist. And already I'm I'm seeing them continue, which is absolutely fantastic.
1: I totally agree, John. And and I think that the um, changes that you've outlined, they're really quite dramatic when you look back and it's good to remind of a couple of examples you gave, but the real-world evidence dealing with uncertainty, dealing with shortages, and in a way, globalising the regulatory effort in that sense, which has to match the challenges we have globally, for example, in availability, to hear that you feel that this will stick. And it seems sort of obvious because it's been very effective, and I think all the stakeholders, particularly the citizens have really benefited. John, there are a lot of accomplishments there that that you're rightly proud of. I want to make sure that any burning accomplishments that you haven't, like just note to our audience, I think would be terrific.
0: Well of course they're not my personal accomplishments, but really the organization had the privilege to lead, both during the pandemic and before. Some of the other things that I'm very proud of TGA over the last decade have really been uh, things like uh, increased transparency. As I said, I came in saying we just had to publish a lot more information for healthcare professionals and consumers so they could know more about their products. So, for example, people who get implantable medical devices now in Australia get a patient information leaflet and a patient information card. That's really important because so often people will have an operation and... A year later, if there's pain, they can't remember what the name of the product was and perhaps the uh, surgeon has retired or they've got to track them down or they didn't even know the name of the surgeon if it was done in a public hospital. I guess the biggest thing was actually the most significant changes to our regulatory framework. It hadn't been modernised since 1989 when TGA was created. And so we, over a four or five year programme following an external review, we were able to basically root and branch, modernise every aspect. And that brought in a whole lot of facilitated pathways for drugs and devices, such as priority review, but not just that. Every single area had changed. And if I could mention one other area, it was work we did on managing the opioid crisis. Maybe not a crisis at the same scale that the US has, but it was still a source of some hundreds of deaths in Australia every year. And prescription opioids were being often inappropriately prescribed and used for chronic non-cancer pain. And so again, by working together with the companies and working together with the healthcare professionals and changing the regulations, we tightened their labels for those drugs down to where opioids could really benefit either in the cure and a chronic framework. And uh, while it will take some years to see whether there's an impact on overdose and death, I'm told the numbers are going the right way. In fact, The last time I had a look at the opioid prescribing levels under Australia's Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, that there was a trend over the last two or three years
1: to a decrease. And we were a small part of that, but one I'm very proud of. And as a clinician, I think just that point about the patient information about devices, implants, it's rather huge, you know, because we see people who need an MRI and no one remembers or knows what their... um, stent or some other implant actually was it or pacemaker is it compatible that is a a very large contribution that that impacts so widely looking to the future a little bit and looking at what's been accomplished if you thought about what you would have liked to accomplish you know what what's left to be done i mean it's an an unending list i'm sure but but particularly for current times what are the things you think are called unfinished or
0: I'd say three big areas still have a tremendous amount of work to do. The first is the digital modernization of TGA systems. Unfortunately, as a regulator, it's largely been cost-recovered from industry. It's been hard to put aside resources to make sure the IT system. So we know that when we, we can buy an airline ticket uh, online, we can see what seat we're in. We can see whether the plane is halfway between uh, New York and L.A., we can monitor its progress. People who put in submissions to us don't have the same ability. They can't see where their plane's over Colorado or wherever it's over California. So there's a whole range of areas of modernization of TJ's digital systems. That's a work in progress. A programme started a couple of years ago, and it's just starting to show fruition, but there's a lot of work still to be done. The second uh, big area, which might be unique to Australia, is to implement decisions that I guess I helped drive late in my time with TGA, and that's on the regulation of nicotine vaping products. What we're trying to do in Australia is recognising that there's really a youth epidemic of vaping. And actually, one of the frightening things is that, uh, while nicotine usage in society had been dropping for 30 years or 40 years since the 1970s and early 80s, in the last two or three years, we've seen an increase in the total amount of nicotine because of the popularity of vaping, especially for people under 25, but even more worrying for people under 16. And so we're looking at a different regulatory framework where TGA will have a central role and the government has announced it, but now the details have to be implemented. And that will be a major job of my successor and their team. And the final area that I feel more work needs to be done is to continue to strengthen the links between regulation and health technology assessment. There's currently a review in Australia on the health technology assessment scheme, and I think it's welcome and perhaps a bit overdue. We do have mechanisms whereby a drug can be simultaneously submitted for regulation and HTA evaluation, but I think there's many more opportunities to streamline the system because after all, especially for more expensive products, for rare disease or cancer and all that, patient access is only when it's actually funded by a payer rather than the date of regulatory approval. And so that is very much an unfinished and at this stage unfunded piece of work. So there's certainly still a lot of work to be done. I knew that there would always be more work to be done, but uh, it was time to give someone else a chance to drive it.
1: Thank you, John. I mean, they're important topics for sure. You probably aren't able to say who your successor is.
0: That's been publicly announced. So about a month ago, the decision was announced. His name is Dr. Tony Lawler. He's the Chief Medical Officer of Tasmania. He's an emergency physician. He's on the board of the NHMRC, the National Health and Medical Research Council. So he's got links through to research. And he also has experience in government, uh, having also been a Deputy Secretary in in Tasmania. Uh, Really, I'm not going to offer Tony advice on how to do the job. He and I have talked a few times. But really, he'll be his own man and an own person leading it forward. So he starts at the end of this month, end of June. So only about three weeks
1: time. So thank you for that, John. I was going to ask what sort of guidance you might give maybe at the higher level, but uh, I can understand. So, John, look, congratulations on your tenure. We've um, been lucky in Australia that you took the job on and that you did it so well. There's been a huge benefit and a huge advance. So congratulations and thank you. And look, I'm awfully pleased that you're not exiting the sector completely. Either. I am still keeping quite actively
0: involved uh, in a number of boards and committees. I'm chair of the scientific advisory board of the Center for Innovation and Regulatory Sciences, which is a unique partnership between industry, HTA regulators, and academia on policy in all these areas and I'm also involved in the Southeast Asian region with many local universities, including with part-time professorships. Life's still busy. It's just uh, doing something different.
1: That'll be extremely valuable, John. And I'm looking forward on behalf of Global Forum to talking to you when you settle into particularly some of those policy areas. Thanks very much for um, talking with us and also congratulatory on what's been accomplished. So thank you, John. Thanks, Rick. I'm uh, Rick Dave, speaking for DIA, uh, the Australian and New Zealand Global Forum editor. Thank you.
0: To learn more about this topic, visit us online at diaglobal.org.